Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join us in the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I'll be your host for this morning. It's a special Wednesday edition, and uh, just to let the listeners know, during the summer our show will be occurring on Wednesdays, not Fridays. Today, for the first time, we will not only be taking your calls, but we also have a chat room open, I think which will give you another vehicle in which to participate in the show. Uh, Christy Tai. Uh, we'll be taking the calls this morning and monitoring the chat room. Christy, could you please explain the process? Yeah, sure. Good morning, everybody. Now, when you're listening, if you want to call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. That's 1-347-989-8904. And when you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your phone. Now, that will indicate on my switchboard that you're ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or the topic, and then you'll be put on the air. Also, if you're on the phone line, just remember to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone because there is a little bit of a delay. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Christy. Uh, School administrators, and in particular school superintendents are recognized by almost everyone as a key component in increasing student achievement. Educational leadership is vital to having our schools well run. That, however, has not kept school administrators from escaping criticism. Over the past few years, it seems that the role of the school administrator has come under more scrutiny than it had in the past. We have seen tight caps on administrative spending as well as caps on the superintendent's salaries themselves. Education reform is being pushed on almost all aspects of public education, and it seems that school administrators will be the ones we need to implement these reforms. We are fortunate today uh, to have with us Dr. Richard Baza, the Executive Director of the New Jersey Association of School Administrators, and I think he will give us a perspective of the school administrators in today's uh, education climate. Welcome, Rich. Good morning, Ray. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, Rich, uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with the New Jersey uh NJASA, New Jersey Association of School Administrators. Could you just uh, explain briefly the the function of your association? Sure. Uh, NJASA is a voluntary organization. We have approximately 1,000 members who are school superintendents, the chief education officers of school districts, and central office personnel, along with other school leaders. And our mission is to ensure a superior statewide system of education, and we want to do that by influencing and affecting policy, and we want to maximize the capacity of our leaders throughout the state to do great jobs within their districts. And uh, your background, I, I know who you are, and you've been a superintendent, but just briefly, where you've been a superintendent and other positions that you've held in education. Well, I've had the, the good fortune to be in education throughout my uh, career. I started off as a teacher and Long Branch and worked there as an administrator, an assistant principal, and a supervisor. And I then went to uh, become a middle school principal working in uh, Montville in North Jersey, where I eventually became superintendent. And I also was superintendent at the Marie Katzenbach School for the Deaf, which was 
a part of the New Jersey Department of Education. I finished as superintendent in Berkeley Heights in Union County. And then before coming here, I had the opportunity, here being NJASA, I had the opportunity to work with former Commissioner Saul Cooperman at the Academy for Teaching and Leadership. And I've also been an adjunct at uh, several universities, including Rutgers, Drew, and Montclair. So I've enjoyed a lifetime of work and uh, enjoy continuing in it today. How long have you been an executive director at ASA? This is my fourth year, and uh, it's been a, it's been certainly a very interesting four years since I first arrived. Um, well, let's get to one of the issues. I know that the, the superintendents, when I go around to to meetings, uh, one of the issues, and it was brought up by actually a lot of quite a bit of our our membership, the school board members, uh, was the the cap on superintendent salaries. What was your association? Some of the concerns you had about when that that cap was implemented. Well, Ray, we we really think uh, have raised a lot of questions before it was implemented and now in its implementation. And by the way, we continue to challenge it through the courts. But we just think it's bad policy. It's very arbitrary. It's a system based exclusively on the size of the school district, and it really ignores the most uh, important differences and needs among the state's diverse communities. And so, we've got all kinds of questions that are raised there. If if you are a superintendent in a district that has two pupils more than I have in my district, why does that suggest that you should make uh, uh, a greater compensation than I. And, and, and what about regional differences and the fact that we've got only one position, the superintendent of schools, that is being capped in salary. And uh, instead of looking candidly at what are the administrative costs of, of the school system. So we've got a, a disincentive for people to want to be in the role of the superintendent when assistant superintendents, principals, and others who might traditionally aspire to become the chief education officer would have to take a cut in pay and benefits to take the job. It's just not a smart system. We we really should be working on a system that hopes to aspire, help help people to aspire to become chief education officers, to get school leadership in places that have the greatest challenges, where we've got the most uh, creative people. Uh, we need a policy that just promotes talented individuals to want to become the chief education officer. So, I mean, we've got a whole host of issues here, and not the least of which is the fact that it seems to be a policy that was put in place without consideration of the facts, and, and the primary one being that New Jersey ranks ninth in the nation, ninth lowest in the nation in administrative costs as a percentage of the school budget. And So we've got a whole host of concerns here. On the legal side, we don't believe that the Commissioner of Education has the authority to put these caps in place, and we are now at the Appellate Division of Superior Court making a challenge to that. So uh, we would have liked to have worked with the administration to develop a policy that we think would have been uh, a, a better policy in meeting the needs of, of school districts, of school communities throughout our state. But what we've got now is uh, what we predicted, an exodus of people leaving. We've got over one quarter of the superintendents, uh, or about one quarter of the superintendents retiring this year. Certainly notable stories of some of our shining stars, rather than taking significant pay cuts going on to other states and making pay increases. And, uh, again, I think just a policy that was ill-conceived. And I... Uh... I had mentioned this in one of my blogs. Uh, one of the other issues that I think was probably not anticipated was that the, the idea of a shared superintendent might be very difficult now uh, with the way the law is written. Have you seen that, any incidents of that? Well, you know, there's a, there's a perfect example of where logic doesn't apply in this situation, and that's in uh, Sussex County where Alamucci shared a superintendent with the regional high school district. Uh, very happy with the arrangement, uh, wanted to, voted to continue that arrangement, wanted to have that superintendent continue, but the state's saying, oh, no, I'm sorry, you cannot pay that superintendent what he receives now uh, for uh, guiding two, two districts. And so 
the only alternative is to have two superintendents at uh, twice the pay, and, and, and that seems to me to be just poorly conceived. I think another great example of this is when you have school superintendents who are the uh, the chief education officer in, in one school districts or in small school districts where they serve as both the superintendent and principal, uh, to suggest that a person down the street who is just the principal, and, and I don't mean to minimize that role, but the principal alone in a district can earn more than the person who's both superintendent and principal, uh, again, doesn't seem to be a policy that says let's try to find a way to make this work efficiently and most effectively around New Jersey. So we've got this one-size-fits-all certainly hampering the ability of school districts to get great leaders or to save money as in that situation in uh, Sussex County. Uh, yeah, and not only that, it costs them money. Christy, was there a question from the chat room? We do. We have a question from the chat room. Uh, our listeners would like to know, uh, Dr. Baza, what is your position on the dispute between the governor and the Parsippany School District? Well, our role is, is clear in that. In fact, we have filed uh, an amicus brief uh, along with the district that was accepted by the courts, uh, suggesting that a couple of things. One is that we believe that that contract was actually approved by the county superintendent of schools. And going along with uh, with the other arguments that the Commissioner of Education at that time did not have the right to stop contracts from being reviewed, which uh, the former commi acting commissioner did, and two, that there is no authority that the commissioner has to place a cap on that salary. So as we know, the, the status of that case is still uh, not resolved, and the state did allow the uh, a greater amount than the cap to be budgeted and to be voted by the voters in Parsippany, and they approved that budget. So uh, we are in strong support of the Parsippany board in suggesting that that cap is an illegal measure. Um, outside of the superintendent's salaries, uh, I guess one of the proposals put out by the administration at the state board level has been the, the, the certification requirements to be a school superintendent. Um, Right now, there are certain certification requirements uh, that a superintendent has to have, and they want to relax them, particularly in districts that are failing. Uh, does your association have some concerns about this? Well, we do, and, and I've actually testified before the state board on that. But before I get to that, Ray, let me just add a, a point back on the caps. I, one of the things that you know also puzzles us that this cap doesn't apply to charter schools. Uh, the second thing that puzzles us is that the state actually has a cap on uh, the salaries of directors for schools for children with handicaps, and, and that is set for all schools regardless of the size of the uh, no, of the enrollment of the school at just over $216,000. You know, I think if we look at that and the, and the governor's statements about uh, no salaries should be higher than his and nobody works harder than he, then, you know, I, I think it just becomes a very hypocritical stance when we take a look at the president of Rutgers uh, becoming a teacher at $335,000 or the salary of the head football coach or basketball coach at Rutgers. I mean, we've we've just got here a political statement, not a policy. And continuing down that route, this, this uh, proposal to create an alternate route for school superintendents, um, when it first was proposed to the school board through the Christie administration, the state school board, uh, there really weren't many standards, and, and we and others uh, objected to that, and, and now that it has been revised, it seems to be somewhat stronger, but we still don't support it in its current role. Let me say first that we don't oppose an alternate route. Um, we, we do support it, and we think it ought to be much more uh, in a fashion such as the very successful alternate route for teachers. I mean, there we have a situation in where New Jersey has garnered you know, uh, respect for many years at, at the success of the alternate route for teachers, being one of the first in the nation. 
and taking a look and saying, well, how do we hold high standards and allow people who can contribute to teaching to come into the field? And so there we have a situation where, you know, we have a respect for academic achievement. There's at least a grade point average. You must pass uh, a test that says that you have uh, academic knowledge of the area that you're going to teach in. During your first year, you have to take 200 hours of additional training. We think those are all good models for the alternate route for school superintendents. We're pleased that there is a pilot project for all but the state-operated districts. We think the state-operated districts should be put into that pilot project. We think the individual should be uh, demonstrating that they have a high record of academic achievement to be the chief education officer. We think that they should also go through much more extensive mentoring. The mentoring process that's in place now is one for those individuals who have a deep understanding and experience in education, in school systems, and therefore it's very clear that one who doesn't needs a mentoring process that is much more intensive. So, as I said, we're not opposed to it, but we don't think that this this desire to cast a wider net, which is really how it's been presented by the department to the state board, is uh, is, uh, significant enough alone to suggest that we ought to lower standards. Uh, Casting a wider net, I mean, if we were to cast a wider net uh, for architects or home builders or uh, uh, realtors, uh, would we expect that homes uh, would be better constructed or that the housing market uh, would be in better shape? No, no, none of us would expect that. So what we say here is we don't oppose it, but we think that we need to have standards that ensure that when a person arrives to be the chief education officer of a school district, they have some knowledge of what to do when they get there. And so we want to support the board net. We want to be able to help those individuals who might be selected by school boards should this policy go through to become effective school superintendents. But I think we have to look very carefully at who we open the door to when we have such an important job here. I think people forget that uh, the state has for a long time talked about very high standards for people to be superintendents both on on an education side as well as on uh, established standards that are throughout the nation and actually in our code that say that that there are certain characteristics the state board expects. And we seem to be throwing most of that out the door and just saying, let's just open the door to somebody who seems to be a good business person. Now, we we need someone who can not only operate the biggest business in town and to you know, feed the most kids and to bust the, mo- the you know more people in the local transportation system. But we need someone who actually understands education, someone who can guide that, who can work with school principals, who can work with the community. I think there's been an attempt to suggest that this very complex and difficult role is easily easily accomplished, and uh, by anyone who has some managerial experience. And you know, clearly, national studies and standards that have been established demonstrate that there this, there's a higher skill set that's required here. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Richard Bazza from the New Jersey Association of School Administrators. If you want to call in and ask a question, dial 1-347-989-8904 and press 1, uh, and that will indicate on our switchboard that you have a comment or a question. Uh, j- just staying on this uh, a little bit uh, longer, um, you know, th- th- it's not just the school administrators, that uh, superintendents. Th- there's also a proposal out there to have principals come in uh, the alternate route. My experience, at least with most school districts, and it's a two-part question, is that I don't think most boards, and I'm not sure how many superintendents would want to have a principal with little educational experience because one of your chief chief jobs is evaluating educational technique of teachers, and it's hard to do that without that educational training. Uh, Would you agree with that, or...? 
Well, yes, I, I do. I think if, as as the discussion throughout the nation, not only here in New Jersey, proceeds, we're talking about a very complex topic of how do we evaluate the performance of adults and relate that to the outcomes for children. That's not very easily done. And so, yes, that that is very serious. And I, I think as you've talked about the opportunity for school boards to, to do this, as I speak to my colleagues around the country where they may have alternate routes or a few states that have actually no certification requirements, we find that very few people uh, come to the, the school leadership or the district leadership level without that educational experience. School boards are, I think, almost unanimously throughout the country looking for people who understand what it's like to be in the school to operate a school, the you know the daily problems and difficulties of dealing with communities, kids, and uh, uh, budgets, evaluations, and all the very complex things that are there. Um, and what is, uh, the way I look at it is, they want to initiate these sort of these new uh, superintendents without with the wider net, as you say, in districts that are probably the mo- most challenging. Uh, is that a more difficult job if you're coming into one of those districts? Well, you know, I just think as the salary caps make no differentiation between the challenges in districts, then, you know, this type of certification um, uh, change does not make any distinction between what what the needs are. And I, and I really do, do think that that comes down to the elected leadership of school boards looking at what their community requires and, and being able to look at a broad pool of candidates. And you know, clearly where there are greater challenges, uh, something like a salary cap it really affects the, the, the level of people, not only in-state but out-of-state, who would be interested in coming into a district and trying to make the significant difference that is needed. So, uh, you know, we, we seem to have uh, what I like to call the soundbite reform. It sounds good in the first soundbite, but when you get down to the level of what does it really take to get it done and how is it done and what are the complexities which most people want to ignore in the discussion? And when I say most people, I'm talking about the politicians and others who support these proposals, that there really needs to be, in order to have an effective policy, an effective means that it works in the real world, this conversation about, well, what does that happen? If you, What happens when you do that? If you enact this policy, what's the outcome? Uh, there seems to be little regard for that and more regard for, well, let's just put it out there and say having a greater pool why wouldn't you want to have a greater pool? Well, let's talk about what that greater pool means and what is it uh, with regard to school districts and what's the experience around the country. You know, And I think that's all uh, colored by this perception of how bad public education is. Well, you know, we, we seem to have uh, our politicians on, you know, speaking out of uh, both sides of their mouth. And one, they say New Jersey is among the best. New Jersey is among the but it's really terrible based on some example that they want to give. And so we have, no matter how effective your community's education system is, we have a reform that we want to apply to you regardless. And, and I think that's where we need to stop and take a reasoned approach and say, what works in our community? And we don't have the same needs as every other community. These are our needs, and so here's what we want to do with regard to school leadership. Here's what we want to do with regard to our improvement programs. We don't necessarily want that dictated by someone in Trenton who may not have a deep understanding of what our community needs are. Well, uh, reforms coming, or at least it's going to be discussed whether you want it or not. Uh, Senator Ruiz has a bill, uh, S-2925, Teacher Effectiveness and Accountability for Children in New Jersey, TeachNJ, which deals with uh, teacher tenure. But there's a little provision in there that uh, I noticed, and I'm sure you probably did too, that it gives the uh, the principals in the school the right to uh, hire individuals without the consent of the school board or superintendent. Did your uh, association have any th- thoughts about that? 
Yes, and, and we have shared with Senator Ruiz and Assemblyman Dignan's bill is uh, identical, I believe, in almost every aspect in the in the Assembly, uh, that we are very concerned about that. I've shared that concern personally with the Commissioner of Education as to the importance of the role of the Chief Education Officer in making personnel decisions with regard to uh, what kinds of pressures come uh, with that and, and to be able to look at what the needs of the district are. I mean, we've heard some proposals here that suggest that there's not a good understanding of what actually plays out in school districts. I mean, principals throughout the state and almost every district are the key person, uh, the key role in examining candidates for their positions in their schools, making recommendations to the school superintendent where currently uh, the law requires that the recommendation of the superintendent be made and the school board hire them. So we have certainly very genuine concerns about uh, you know, again, there seems to be taking this very critical role of educational leadership and somehow saying, well, we'll just let you manage some of the things. Uh, you really don't need the high credentials that you have. You don't have to have experience in education. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll just let uh, the principals take care of this, and we're, we're not quite sure what, what the role of the school board is except or the superintendent, but that we think it should be less. Now, our state for a very long time took a look at governance issues. I know our association, along with school boards, uh, did that with other associations and grants that were received over the years. And, uh, and going back to the time of uh, Commissioner Labrera in particular, taking a look at can there be a more effective way in terms of governance. And one of the things that was uh, certainly highly touted at the time and our association would uh, certainly still support is that the decisions for personnel remain with the chief education officer, with the superintendent of schools, and that the role of the school board is to hire that superintendent, to evaluate that superintendent, to rehire or fire them at the end of their term if they're not performing effectively, but that we take the politics out of these decisions and that we have one individual who's responsible to do the hiring, to do the firing, and uh, to do whatever is necessary in the personnel area uh, in, in compliance with New Jersey's laws and regulations. And so that bill, that, those two bills, the Assembly and Senate version, in looking at tenure, uh, attempt at least currently to take that uh, away from the superintendent and the school board and to put it in the hands of the principal, as you've said. And, and I think that's going to create another another uh, set of issues that are going to be, you know, not better, but but uh, more difficult to deal with. And so I don't think there's any, any uh, real argument about the importance of the role of the school principal with regard to screening, selecting, recommending candidates, but you know, to do that without having the, the entire district in, in mind, without having the superintendent hold a single responsibility for that, I think we have, uh, you know, certainly expressed our dismay with that, and that's, again, a bad a bad way to go. Uh, Christy, I think we have another question on this topic, and uh, I'd like to comment on the question, too. Uh, yes, we do. We have another comment from our listeners. In terms of who hires and fires in a school building, in most cases, doesn't the principal and superintendent work collaboratively? And does this clause really change anything? Well, you know, I think that just reinforces um, that commenter is reinforcing what I'm saying is that they do work collaboratively, that the primary responsibility in almost every school district relies with the school-level personnel to do the screening, to review the candidates, and to make recommendations. And so, um, you know, that I, I think that's a, a good process. Uh, certainly the bill would change things because uh, it would change things with respect to eliminating the role of the superintendent of the school board. Um, you know, and I, I think that goes along with some of the proposals that we've heard with regard to the changes uh, with tenure in general. Um, 
where a principal and a teacher would have to agree to a transfer, for example. And if that weren't the case, the teacher wouldn't lose his or her job, but would have a year to find another. And you know, I just see people shaking their heads and saying, "And, and so, do we now create the uh, so-called rubber room that has never existed before, where you place people for a year uh, that you pay them, even though that they're not necessarily performing a teaching function? They might be a teacher aide or something else." Uh, and I don't know how how one could even suggest that with the constraints that we have in school budgets. And so. Again, I think we need some feet on the ground and people working in the schools who understand, as I think this commenter does, the complementary role of the chief education officer and the school-level education officer. Um, staying on teacher tenure, because that was the, the crux of uh, Senator Ruiz's bill. Uh, and there's a couple of bills out there, but since she's the chair of the Senate Ed Committee, uh, it gives it a little bit more weight, at least in my mind, uh, that it might move forward. Um What's the general feeling of tenure? I mean, because um, do you have to change the evaluation system if you're going to change the tenure system? Well, you know, the general feeling is that there certainly uh, needs to be some reform with regard to tenure. Um, we, we certainly made proposal. I testified before uh, Senator Ruiz and her committee as they were taking testimony back some time ago on this issue. Uh, and, and again, I want to put this into, I think, what is a, is a better perspective. This, this seems to emanate from this belief that there are, you know, great numbers of ineffective teachers in particular out there, that ineffective teachers. And so what else, what, what can we do? Well, you know, when someone says, let's get rid of the teachers who aren't performing, everybody can applaud and shake their head and say, yes, let's do that. But I think that the more difficult question for us is how do we raise the standards and performance of all teachers, including those who are, you know, the great majority, who are so dedicated, who are working hard, and, and, and our challenge of preparing our kids for, you know, the new flat world economy that's, that, that's before us. And so let's say, yes, we need to find a process that gets rid of uh, ineffective teachers, one that's more efficient, and that's certainly part of this proposal and part of our recommendations. But we would like to see, as uh, the proposal, we'd like to see a longer probationary period. We'd like to see that go from three to five years. We'd also like to see, rather than uh, this process of tenure in and out and in perhaps a two-year period, especially if we don't have the evaluation system quite formed yet that we would like to have, that there would be a recertification process every five years so that um, individuals who acquire tenure would certainly be able to maintain it based on demonstrated performance along with other factors in the district, which could include participation in professional activities and continuing education, active and productive participation in the school and district learning community, contributions to the community at large, mentoring, the many things that I think we can look at. And so when you ask about the evaluation process, we do believe that it's important to tie the performance of adults to the outcomes for children. But having said that, that's the soundbite. Now let's talk about the difficulty and the complexity of the work that needs to be done to do that effectively so that we don't have outcomes that we don't want. You know, as we, we look at studies around this, this, this is a very inexact science now. And so uh, while our state is pursuing this, we also know that 13 states in the District of Columbia have received a tremendous amount of money in the Race to the Top grant to pursue this. I think that uh, while we're taking a better path currently in looking in pilot projects in New Jersey, I think we need to be patient and well uh, the, the very first time to get this as correct as we can. And, and, and I know people say that, I've heard the commissioner say this, you know, no system is ever perfect. We agree, but we need to get this to be as uh, effective as possible the first time around to make sure that we've considered all of the factors that need to be done so that we promote 
true student achievement and not just an arbitrary system that doesn't really conduct an evaluation very effectively. One of the concerns I had, uh, and it seems that we want to evaluate teachers more often if we're going to change this, uh, not just uh, two or three times, but maybe four or five times, uh, and tie it to the test and probably create ways that we can measure student achievement a bit better. But to do all these evaluations effectively, do you need more administrators? And in the last five or six years, we've probably been reducing the number of uh, administrators we have. Is that a concern? Uh, you know, it is a concern, and, and I think I think the right word should be support. I'm not sure it's just necessarily administrators. And so uh, I think it would be self-serving to some if we were to say, yes, that automatically means we, we need more administrators. It may well be administrators. It may well be supervisors. It may well be lead teachers. But I think there definitely needs to be support. And, and I think we have to approach this. Everyone talks about accountability. For us, accountability is not just let's take a look at the test scores at the end of the year and then we'll publish them. That's, that's certainly one form of accountability, but that's more accountability by embarrassment in which you don't have data that you can use to change your course. We believe accountability is getting information throughout the year, changing course, and building towards success. And so we need a system that has data that leads to the evaluation, that is really very focused on what we all think is critically important, that gives our teachers and administrators opportunities to evaluate what the data tells them, to change their practice throughout the way, because the goal is success, not failure. And so when we talk about that, yes, and I do think we need a level of support that has been eroded over many years. I mean, as student um, numbers have increased it. As staff members have increased, what we've seen is a reduction in the number of administrators and supervisors throughout the state, and and that's continuing as budget times get even more difficult. The last couple of years have certainly seen reductions in those support levels. So, you know, the, a lot of what was done in the uh, Educator Effectiveness Task Force talking about the needs for this kind of support and training, I think, have been largely ignored by much of the discussion and most all of the discussion in the media. I think the members of that committee rightfully, uh, uh, correctly recognize that we need a lot of training and we need a lot of support to make this system improve even better. And, and again, let's talk about improvement here, about just getting better, not just because we're sick. Our state has a proud record overall of achievement as we look at the 50 states and even the nations around the world. But we certainly need to continue to improve that and to improve it most where we have the greatest challenges. Uh, you mentioned the task force. I, I believe the task force, and I probably should have mentioned this, uh, does recommend that there's some type of committee uh, that helps the takes on some of those administrative duties. I, I wasn't real clear as to who's on that committee all the time, uh, but there is a, a committee set up to take on some of the, those duties. What are the, I guess the, the issue that I have seen, uh, and you, you've mentioned it very clearly, that it's the sound by of measuring connecting uh, adult evaluation to student performance is very good, but measuring student performance in a fair and unbiased way is difficult. Is there, is that, how, how can we do that if we can? Well, you know, there is some hope, Ray, I think, as we look. First of all, you know, if we would step back and take a look at internationally, the countries that have uh, soared to the top uh, of the uh, student achievement list, whereas, you know, the United States has, has dropped from its former levels, uh, you know, being premier in the world. What we see is places like uh, Finland, Korea, and others that, that do almost no testing. They do less testing, and they ta they've taken a different path, and their path is to invest in their teachers to support their 
graduate uh, education, to give them more time to improve their practice, to talk with colleagues. And so they've taken a different path. And, and here in the United States, we've seemed to take the path of, uh, well, you know, we used to do that, but now what we really have to do is tie it very strictly to accountability standards and testing. And so, you know, pretty much if it moves, we test it. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not certainly a person that thinks we ought to be testing every kid every year, and I have a lot of colleagues out there who feel exactly the same. And so what we are doing, however, is that I think at least making a step and taking a look at uh, common core state standards, which 48 of the states have adopted, and taking a look at uh, two assessment consortia funded by the federal government to examine how we can do that, how we can do it with technology, how we can periodically throughout the year give feedback to teachers. And I think that's a, certainly a better model. It's a very, very difficult one. It's certainly a very difficult one as we begin to evaluate teachers outside the core areas of English language, arts, literacy, and mathematics. You know, when we start talking about art or foreign language or physical education teachers, I think we've got a whole host of other issues. But, you know, we are at least proceeding, I think, in a fashion where we're trying to take the technology of the future, use that to provide uh, feedback to educators along the way and to the students themselves on their performance on, on what uh, have been commonly agreed throughout the nation about core standards, at least in English and mathematics, and to provide that feedback and so we can change course. Now, I, I do think we have to be careful that we don't continue to narrow the curriculum, that we don't take advantage of the arts and uh, all of the other areas that support uh, and enhance and enrich you know, what we learn in mathematics and English. And, uh, you know, so those are some critical, I think, uh, areas that we have to be careful of because when we teach the test, we, as we know, as budgets get cut, we start to cut outside of those things that get measured in particular. And so if we really want to provide this world-class education, first I think we ought to be taking a look at what the nations who are achieving the highest results do, uh, looking at that in terms of how that pra those practices can apply here, and two, making sure that where we are doing the assessments that we are, that they're providing data back to practitioners to change course where they need to change course and make improvements. Um, one of the things tied to teacher evaluation and tenure reform is the idea of merit pay for teachers. Um, uh, does your association have a, a view on that or any concerns? You know, um, I think someone said to me, uh, let, I guess teachers throughout the nation are just waiting until there's some form of compensation to uh, help kids, especially those of the most challenges, do really well. And as soon as there's merit pay, they're really going to they're going to step up to the plate and do things so much better. You know, we haven't seen, and I think as we look at Tennessee and when we look at the the study that most people feel is a credible, well uh, orchestrated research on whether merit pay works or not, clearly it didn't work there with middle school mathematics teachers. It had no effect. Uh, I think people are skeptical when we hear the governor say, I want to pay great teachers more money. You know, I, I don't think in what we're talking about in the budget discussions that, that the general public or teachers in general believe that anybody wants to pay anyone any more money than they're currently receiving. And so we, we really do have a whole host of issues here uh, where merit pay is problematic. I know as we first provided input to the, the top application that – you know, we so we have to look at what merit looks like differently. Can't merit be shared by a team of teachers? I mean, we we continue to proceed down a road where we talk about learning communities being critically important, but yet we want to create competition and not suggest that teachers working together are important. It's also based on a 
on, I think, what is not a model of future education. It's pretty much based on one teacher at an elementary level working in mathematics or English uh, with 25 kids. You know, while the future using technology, uh, teacher sharing responsibilities, uh, you know, there are all kinds of questions that that raise here. And we don't mean to raise the questions to be uh, objectors, but uh, when we raise the questions, we're saying whatever policy really ought to contribute to improve student achievement, and so far that's not been the case with any model that we've seen, certainly research. Uh, we had a question. I just lost it from uh, – oh, uh, had a question to do with uh, – in terms of Meripay, don't most superintendents have uh, – this is from one of our chat rooms. In terms of Meripay, don't most superintendents have a merit clause in their contract of some sort? Uh, so yes. superintendents, to a certain degree, do work on merit. Yes, and and let, let's talk about what that merit typically looks like, because now you even you have the state of New Jersey and its administrative rules saying that, uh, you know, there can there can be up to five areas for merit pay for school superintendents, two which can be quantitative, two three which can be qualitative. Those are the board of education in consultation with the superintendent about what are the district priorities. Now that could be anything from constructing a new school building to increasing the math achievement of the third grade class. But there's a conversation, there's a dialogue about what's important at this point in time and how do we measure it in which there's discussion and agreement. I, I don't think that's what we're hearing yet with regard to merit performance for evaluating uh, the work of teachers and the work of principals. What we're hearing is there really is very little discussion, and what we're talking about is only tying you know, 51% to standardized achievement measures and the, the remainder of it, other kinds of indicators of, of effective performance. I think that's a good start, but that's a very different conversation than the school board sitting down with their chief education officer and saying, let's talk about our priorities, let's talk about specifically what's going to be done here, and when we look back at the end of the year, we'll know whether they've been accomplished or not in the interest of kids. And so I, I don't think we're quite talking, you know, an apples-to-apples apples comparison just now. Uh, and the state itself is requiring that that is a component, even though it has been traditionally a component, not in this particular format, but it has been a component of uh, compensation packages for administrators, uh, not just superintendents, but administrators in general. Uh, are you concerned that uh, th that miracles, which I know you're talking about, where the school board and the, the superintendent talk about, talk, sit and talk about their district's priorities and agree to their priorities that it may move away from that concept to more of a state measuring superintendent performance by statewide, uh, district-wide student performance? Well, you know, here, here's the interesting thing. For, for as long as I can remember, the um, codes which govern education in New Jersey have said all professionals, all educators will be, one component of their evaluation will be student performance. And so as we, you know, as we look at it from the 30,000-foot 30, level, that makes a lot of sense. When we get down to the kinds of proposals that are out there today, they're saying we're going to apply the same model, you know, to everyone, and, and we just haven't gone through a process where we've spent enough time on this, where we've tried it sufficiently, uh, and that's why I'm a proponent of, you know, as we move forward that we that we do this cautiously and carefully, and then we learn from the results of the rest of the nation where they have a tremendous amount of resources from the Race to the Top grant to accomplish this, and, and so let's move forward, but let's move forward carefully. And so that as we do it, we're, you know, it's not a shotgun. We're getting more to, if you will, kind of a target 
we're, we're very focused on what the outcome that we're looking for in with regard to performance of educators throughout the system. And let's broaden that conversation to include the stakeholders who have to take part in this. And, you know, so far we haven't done that. I think the state's role now in trying to establish some pilot districts to get more information is critically important. They are talking about, for example, using three years of data, not just one. And so I'm, I'm beginning to see a deeper understanding of the complexity of what, what needs to be examined here. I'm just hopeful that the, you know, the politicians who are going to pass laws give this, give this uh, opportunity to study these issues, uh, give it time to play out so that you know, very significant recommendations can be made to say, well, here's what we do next. I think if there's a pilot study this year which is mandated by some implementation of a program you know, a year from this September, I think that's just quite foolish. We need to learn from the studies. We need to learn from our colleagues around the country and to continue to put in place the most effective system we can, not just the political again. That would be the equivalent of here's the sound bite. We can measure performance, so let's do it right away. Uh, one of the things that we probably will see discussed uh, in the fall, and it's being discussed now quite a bit already, is uh, choice in charter schools. Does your dis uh, association have uh, any concerns about the increasing the number of charter schools? We do. Um, we don't. Obviously, charter schools are public schools. We do not oppose charter schools. We certainly are, are looking forward to the commissioner and the governor following through on the examination of the performance of charter schools. But you know, we have what seems to be again a, a, a just an inherent problem here, where there's a concern about the number of school districts um, in New Jersey. Every time we open a charter school, we create a new charter school uh, and we create a new school district. In effect. And so our association is very supportive of the legislation that's being discussed now and coming out of the Assembly this week, which suggests that voters need to be involved in saying whether or not they, they support a charter school in their community. Uh, we think that that's just, you know, uh, something that every uh, community ought to have a right to decide. And so having said that, uh, we are supportive of that legislation. We are hopeful to see similar legislation pass as we move forward and allow the voters to say, well, you know, we get we, we get to vote on the school budget and the resources that go here, and in some cases where we haven't received state aid, we're taking our own tax dollars and supporting it uh, to a, a charter school, which we have no interest in having because, thank you very much, the kids in our school system do just fine by all measures that we can uh, examine. So we are looking at that. Um, we are certainly opposed to the, the uh, Opportunity Scholarship Act, you know, simply to us as a voucher that's allowing kids to go. Uh, out of the public school system, and uh, you know this model of uh, business model of we'll let you make your choice doesn't seem to have any practical uh, outcomes. Again, you know we're looking. For, so where's the whole commercial about? You know where's the beef? Where's the proof that these things that you're suggesting are going to make a difference in kids' lives? Well, the evidence isn't there for charter schools. The evidence isn't there for choice. And so what we see is, I think, if, if this moves forward an advocation by the legislature of its constitutional requirement to provide that thorough and efficient system of public schools, a thorough and efficient system of public schools. And that's not just opening it up to every business venture that comes along and saying, let's you know, start boutique schools where they're not needed. Okay, we're coming to the end of our uh, conversation with Dr. Richard Baza, Executive Director of NJASA. Uh, I'd like to thank you, uh, Rich, for joining me today. My pleasure. Uh, our next scheduled show is our next scheduled show is July thirteenth, another Wednesday.
Uh, and as I said in the summer earlier, our conversation on New Jersey education will be broadcasting live on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. At that show, we will be discussing school funding, uh, and uh, it should be an interesting discussion. We'll have two different perspectives. We'll have the state senator, Michael Doherty, who has been proposing uh, uh, a plan out there to one uh, same amount of funding for each child in every district, and and one of uh, Dr. Richard Boz's members, Geraldine Carroll, a superintendent for the District of Lindenwall. So uh, I ask you to please join me on that show. I think it would be an interesting conversation. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. As I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. If you have an issue or a speaker that you think would be good for this format, please contact me via email at rpinney at njsbay.org. And thank you, listeners, again for tuning in. And thank the callers and the chatters for your great questions and comments. Your participation is what makes this program great. Thank you, and goodbye.